1: You've found Destination Love with Shelley Pumphrey. This is not a program about becoming the perfect date or how to get that special someone you've been admiring to notice you. Instead, we'll bring you the science behind how to find love and show how being your true self generally works best. Now, here's your host, Shelley Pumphrey.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Destination Love. I am so honored to have you here today and excited uh, for today's show. I am today and next week I am dedicating our shows to really talking about how to quote unquote call in the one or talk about soulmates and and how we bring that ideal partner in. And um, today we have a very Wonderful, exciting guest on the show, Catherine Woodward Thomas. Many of you have probably read her book, Calling in the One. Um, And she's also got a new book coming out called Conscious Uncoupling. But we're going to spend the whole show today talking about how to uncover the unconscious blocks that prevent us from finding love and pick away at Catherine's brain that's full of a lot of wisdom um, and find out what we can do to help um, bring in better partnerships into our lives. So, Catherine, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here today.
3: Thank you, Shelley. It's really lovely to be here with everyone.
2: Yeah. I want to say that... um, one of the things I love about you, you're a marriage and family therapist, I know, and um, you've done a lot of wonderful work in helping people um, get clear in their relationships. And and one of the things that I've loved about um, you know what I've read and what I've seen in, in following you is how you help people really do this inner work around themselves to um, get clear on what it what it takes to change relationships in our lives so that's Mm -hmm. that's part of why I thought it would be really helpful for you to come on and talk to us today
3: Mm, so
2: absolutely go ahead Um, what I wanted to start with is, you know, you wrote, um, calling in the one it's calling in the one seven weeks to attract the love of your life. And I know this was a bestseller on the New York times list and I read it a few years ago and I know that it really, um, inspired me to do some deeper work and make some changes. So I'm dying to know though, what inspired you to write this book?
3: Well, I lived that story first and foremost. <laughs> I think, you know, any of us that are teaching other people things that come from our heart and our soul, we kind of run it through our own experience first. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I frankly was a person who struggled a lot in relationships. I had some pretty, um, pretty uh, difficult things happen when I was a child that ended up, Kind of imprinting me with a lot of trauma around relationships, so I had a lot of patterns like insecure attachment patterns, which you know i e codependence uh, drama push pull um really incredibly painful things go on and you know i was a I was a therapist, I was a very developed person i'd been Studying spiritual texts since the age of 14. I was no newbie to personal development, and yet these patterns followed me really well into my early 40s. And I had always wanted to get married, and I had yearned to be a mother. Uh, That was a yearning that was in me for decades, and yet the patterns that kept showing up over and over in my own life mostly were around triangulations or unavailable people. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, all of these other dramatic, you know, blow-ups and, you know, and wrench, heart-wrenching kind of trying to get back with the person. you know, And it really kind of took me off my purpose and became a distraction and caused a tremendous amount of suffering. So when I was in my early 40s, I had been on a transformational path for, as I said, for many years, and I had joined this group that was about setting intentions together. Now, this is really probably close to two decades ago, which that was very cutting edge at the time. Mm-hmm. Now there's a lot of science that's coming out to talk about the collective field and what happens when we hold intentions with and for each other is quite. Um, it expedites the process of, of manifestation. In fact, there was a study done in Princeton, New Jersey not too long ago that showed uh, they were using a random numbers machine to see if setting an intention actually impacted the outcome. Mm-hmm. And they found that it did. But what they found also that they weren't even looking for is when, when, when uh, joined bodies of people were holding an intention together, that it was 6 times more likely to manifest. And so I love telling that to wow. people because right if whatever intentions we're holding for ourselves and of course you know this is intention the intention season uh so we're <laughs> we're kind of all thinking about what am I intending for this upcoming year. Um, you want to share that, and you want to share it with those who can really hold the high watch for you. So that's the, the group that I stumbled upon when I was in my early 40s, 41. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the people in the group were doing things like um, they were doubling their income, or they were buying a new house, or they were starting a new business. But I was coming off of yet another disappointment in love. And I was so distraught about it that I called a friend from the group and I said, I know this is crazy, but I'm going to set an outrageous intention to be engaged by my 42nd birthday. (laughs) She, God bless her, said something that changed my life forever. She said, Catherine, I'm going to hold that intention with you and for you if you give me permission to hold you accountable for being the woman that you would need to be in order for that to manifest, right?
2: Yes. Wow, what a great friend.
3: What a great friend. So instead of running out to find love, it focused me on, okay, I'm the through life. Feels like it's happening to me. Feels like something's just sitting on my stars. Feels like it's just my fate to be alone in this lifetime. Feels like all the good ones are taken. (laughs) You know, all of these external reasons. That we say to ourselves, but I, I, looked, I, I became really willing to look at how I might be the source of my own suffering here. And it was that shift of focus that had me sit every morning on the cushion and go into an inquiry, right, a meditative inquiry mm-hmm. where I would, well, first I would vision what it would be like to have that experience and feel it in my body You know, what it would feel like, you know, to feel the weight of someone's hand Mm -hmm. in my hand. All of these kind of sensorial things that we do to usher in the future, to get ourselves receptive to that future. Mm -hmm. But then I would ask the question, what would I need to give up in order to prepare myself to receive this miracle? And the second question was, what would I need to embrace and begin to cultivate within myself? to prepare myself to receive this miracle. And so it wasn't until I asked these very specific questions that I started to get inspired about what to actually look at that might be that I now would call the inner obstacles to love, places within ourselves where we are not congruent with the future that we're standing to create. And so one by one, these things started to get clear to me resentments that I was holding, you know, places I was still really victimized and so in some way didn't really trust myself to ever open my heart up again because you know, unless we take responsibility for our part in things right. we know intuitively that we're not really trustworthy and that could happen again
2: and once right. you have your
3: heart really hurt, like nobody wants to do that again. Right. Right? So former uh-huh. resentment is one of our inner obstacles to love. And then yeah. another one was old agreements. I don't think I've ever really had people talk at before that time about agreements. It was kind of an intuitive process when I was looking at well, what am I what's in the way? What's in the way? Mm-hmm. And I remembered an old promise that I'd made to a high school boyfriend when we broke up. I was so distraught, I said. Okay, well, when we're in our 60s, you know, we'll go our separate ways now, but we're in our 60s, we'll come together and we'll marry then. Now, that's, you know, the kind of thing you say when you're 18 and crazy enough. Right. <laughs> which he obviously didn't take to heart because he went and got married the next year. <laughs> but, but on some uh, level, I realized when I was 41 that there was still this part of me that was holding out hope
1: oh, in that relationship,
3: yeah. Right. So these are like the little tentacles that we have out to past relationships, the hope that he'll return, you know, the the ways that I'm still kind of bonded to that person or I'm holding I'm I'm keeping my pledge to never love anyone like I love them or right, they're right. the great love of my life or all of these things. And I realized that these intentions serve uh, these these promises that we make serve as intentions, and they literally begin to influence the choices we make and the actions we take long after we have even forgotten that we ever made that promise. Right. So the the old agreements that are anchoring us into the past are another inner obstacle to love. Mm-hmm. And uh, I completed that relationship with him by bringing him into what I call a soul-to-soul meditation. I did not want to call him because he was married, Uh um, and I didn't want to disrupt his marriage. So I just did it on a soul level. And, you know, when I did that, I stopped dreaming. I'd been dreaming about him for 20 years, but I stopped dreaming about him.
2: Oh, wow. That's a lot. I know.
3: That's a lot, right? Um, The other inner obstacle that I found was um had to do with relationships in our lives where we were losing power so what i called a toxic tie so if you have a relationship in your life where you're feeling kind of dimmed down mm-hmm. uh in some way um You know, that that would be considered, you know, because it's very hard to say, I want an empowered love. I want a great love. None of us are going and saying, I'm going to intend to create a disempowered, dramatic love affair this year. (laughs) Right. You know, where I'm constantly (laughs) tortured with push-pull. When I'm there, he's not. When he's there, I'm not. Like, nobody wants to create a disempowered relationship. We're saying we want to create a mutually empowering partnership. That's evolutionary in nature. That is solid and secure. That is, mm-hmm. you know, un, uh, you know, unconditionally loving. I mean, we all we want these very lofty things, and yet we're mm-hmm. tolerating toxic dynamics with people in our families, or in our long-term friendships, or even with our boss. So these are relationships that tend to be important to us. They're not easily discarded. So we have to bring greater levels of health to these relationships. And I'll just share with listeners who are identifying with this, two ways to do that is you either find the courage to speak the truth Mm -hmm. in a way that you've not yet been willing to do or because sometimes the truth, you know, is too terrifying because we know that the other person will... Start to, you know, what we, what we therapists call fragment, right? It's where they start right. to act out or they start to punish or going to some drama. So it's, it's setting boundaries. You know, I know that I've been available to talk to you about your problems for two hours a day, but my, I'm too busy to do that any longer. I only have 15 minutes a day. You set a boundary a limit, you know, so So you're not overgiving, right? So cleaning up our relational field so that we feel empowered. And uh, because wherever we're centered is where we're generating relationship from. And I think we have this fantasy, Shelley, that we're going to meet the right person and it'll just be a great relationship. But the truth is, is that we could meet the right person in the right time. But if we're in a disempowered state, we're going to create one level of intimacy with that person. And if right. we're in an empowered state, we're going, to, we're going to take it to a whole new level. We're going to begin uh-huh. to realize the higher potentials that relationship holds for love.
2: I love that you said that because I think so many people do have that idea that if they find the one, it'll just be easy. We don't have to do that work. Um, right. But you're you're so right. We could lose that opportunity if we don't show up in the ways that we really need to to create that amazing relationship.
3: Well, and that's why it's really important that when you set an intention to have love in your life, that you begin right now automatically building the skills that you're going to need in that relationship. Right. And so calling in the one, you know, is is also about helping us to develop both the, uh, what we call the intrapersonal skills, these inner skills, how you're relating to yourself, how you're self-soothing, your own ability to tend to your own feelings and needs, and then the interpersonal skills, which are, you know, navigating difficult conversations or how to set boundaries with people, all of these things that are, you know, more challenging for us. Right. So right. I was looking at all these things and I think Shelley the biggest one was um really naming the core beliefs that I had about myself that were at the center of um my own experience of myself as worthy, unworthy of receiving the love that I was wanting. Yeah. Right. And that's a hard one for a lot of us because we're so developed. We're so, you know, we've been sitting on the cushion for the cat, on the couch for so long. We're such smart people. Um, We're accomplished people. We have, Mm -hmm. all of us have things that we feel very proud of. And to kind of turn towards the three year old self or the, the one year old self that really has this core sense of I'm always going to be alone or I'm not lovable or I'm not wanted, uh, and to name it and to learn how to challenge that belief in a way that really wakes us up, not kind of send affirmations over it or try and repress that part, but it's to develop, develop a relationship with that part and to hold that part of us tenderly and correct the consciousness that's there from a deeper center within us. Because the the wherever we're centered is where we're generating our lives from and particularly yeah. our love lives. Yeah. And so a lot of us have, have done a lot of spiritual development and a lot is working in our lives but when it comes to love it's almost like we can't take any shortcuts. We have mm-hmm. to deal with that core sense of self. Right. So that, and I think, naming those...
2: Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so many people, they are so unaware that that's the driving force behind a lot of the things that are happening in their relationships. Like you said, people do a lot of this work, and and I think we have a hard time either seeing it or, or acknowledging that that could be a piece of it. You know, like I always said, like in my relationships, I went through a long period where I was... Um, one of my friends said to me why are you look why are you dating below you you you're always looking down why don't you start looking up for a partner yeah. and you know the the belief was I'm not good enough I can't I can't have a partner like that that would love me and you know once I acknowledged that that little three-year-old inside of me and started you know loving her and accepting her that whole belief system changed and so you know I, I Totally agree with what you're saying. I think people people need to dig deep to know that that's in there. If you you know, if you find these patterns where you're, um, you know, you keep bumping up <laughs> against the same
3: kind of partner that's not
2: um, working for you, then maybe that's what's at play here.
3: Mm-hmm. It's beautifully said, and I I love that you use the words driving force because it is a driving force. It's often outside of conscious awareness. Right. And um, so, one of the things I invite people to do, just to make it conscious, is to think of, you know, to identify the pattern that they're struggling with in love, and to then whether that's you know, I'm never the chosen one, no one ever asks me out, uh, mm-hmm. they friends out, but not me. Um, I am. Um, I'm always with abusive people, you know, whatever that pattern, right, might be. Right. Or like me, I'm always with unavailable people, or it's always a triangle, yeah. so they're not really there present for me, so what's underneath it, so you want to imagine, close your eyes and imagine that that's happening right now, that pattern has just happened uh-huh. again, and feel the feelings in your body, and notice where those feelings are, and let the feelings give it a name as an I am, Perfect, I am. I am. Or, uh, or others have, do or don't. Others do, you know, others leave, me, always leave, or others well, don't want me, or men
2: don't. I'm going to just stop us right there. I'm sorry, this is like the worst place to stop because we've got a break for a commercial. So maybe people can just kind of start thinking on that during the commercial break, and we'll be back here in a minute, and we'll finish up uh, talking about that. Thank you.
4: Live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Tune in to the Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time.
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: You are listening to Destination Love. To reach Shelly Pumphrey or her guest today, call us at 1 866 472 5788. Again, that's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Shelly at shellypumphrey.com. Now back to Destination Love.
2: Welcome back. This is Shelly, and we are talking with Catherine Woodward Thomas here today. And before the break, hopefully, you were able to take a few minutes to start um, talking and, and, and asking some of the questions that Catherine was so graciously kind of guiding us through. So Um, Catherine, I want to kind of just go back to you and have you continue where we left off and how to help people um deal with some of these subconscious beliefs and these limiting um you know, limiting beliefs that get in the way of finding love.
3: Well, we were just talking about identifying what these beliefs are as an I am or an I am not, I'm not safe to love, I'm not worthy of love. And, and also this corresponding how men or how women, whatever your gender, your preferred gender is, might feel about you. Men don't care about me or women always leave, that sort of thing. What's that story? And the important thing is to ask yourself, how old is this part of me? Because a lot of times we'll have these feelings or we'll just drop into this center and will um, and will overly identify with it. We kind of go into that story as though it's true. We relate to the story, so it's true. And one of the things that I was doing is I noticed for myself I had um, a big story about not being valuable, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and I could trace it back to many incidences in my childhood uh, where I interpreted what was happening as meaning something about me. Mm-hmm. Right. So I had. Very young parents. I mean, my mother was barely out of her teenage years when she got pregnant. It was, you know, she was just fooling around with a boy she liked. So, And uh, so they got married because that's what you did in the 50s. But they were really ill-equipped, and it ended up being pretty a messy divorce and then, you know, messy visitations. And But I, of course, am a little girl, and I love my father, But at some point, my mother remarried, and all the adults just decided what was going to stabilize things was for her new husband to adopt me, and the old father to just kind of leave and disappear. So somehow, when that happened... And, you know, back in the early 60s, nobody really understood about the kind of implications that that might have on a child. There was really nobody was talking about that. As a matter of fact, Dr. Spock reigned at the time, and he was, the the whole thing was, you know, hands-off parenting, let your kids cry their, themselves to sleep at night do not go hold them because it will create f- bad dependency problems later in adulthood mm-hmm. which right. now we know is exactly the opposite right exactly. so anyway a lot of us who are imprinted with these things we have to remember you know the context that was happening in, but I internalized that as I must not be very valuable if my father can just up and give me away right. and I uh, was pretty heartbroken about it and that that moved forward you know that carried forward so here I am in my 30s, my 20s and my 30s and my early 40s. You know, you said, you know, looking, you know, going down instead of looking up. You know, I had a version of that where, you know, mm-hmm. of course, you know, I never because I never felt valuable enough for the men who would actually be right for me. Mm-hmm. So when I was able to identify that, the most important thing for us to do is to see it as a younger part of us and to ask ourselves what's really true about this idea? Yeah. Like, to to identify with the adult in us and say, wait a minute, what's really true about this idea that I'm not valuable enough to be chosen? Right. Right, and you know, and and I mean, you know, at the time I think I said seriously, I'm a catch, like I'm an mm-hmm. incredible blessing. Yeah. I would make an amazing partner for someone, right? So you, you we have sanity. We know there are other parts of us that know the truth. So then, you know, to mentor that part of ourselves. So I did this whole process about how I'd been, you know, seeing how I'd been creating my life inside the I'm Not Valuable story, how I'd been enrolling men into that story that I was dating, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. so that they wouldn't actually really choose me, and that was contributing to the triangulation. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, how what what was really true and how would I be showing up in life if I were centered in that truth. So there was a lot to look at when I asked myself the question, yeah. these two questions, what would I need to give up and what would I need to embrace? And as I was sitting with these questions, I was open to hearing intuitive guidance. Mm-hmm. And so I was listening for the answers to my questions, and pretty much I would empower whatever impulse I got. So whether the impulse was clean out your closets and make space for love, or, you know, go out and buy two coffee mugs that match instead of one, or go have a conversation with your mother forgiving her, or... Mm-hmm. You know, or do the soul-to-soul meditation with your former boyfriend, Frank, and complete that relationship, right? So whatever would come up, I would do it. I would put it into action that. or, yes. you know, start extending yourself more or take greater risks, all of these mm-hmm. things, and I would be moving. And I think that sometimes we are so um, prone towards ana- towards staying in the problem and analyzing mm-hmm. the problem over and over and and processing that trauma over and, you know, it's like, we have to do both. We have to do both. We have to take the risk to get out of our comfort zone. So as I was doing this one morning, I had this idea to call this man named Mark that I had dated six years earlier, and I had blown it because I had some drama going on. And um, I talked myself out of it. It was the one instinct that I did not follow. Mm. because I was so convinced that he was such a great guy, that he would be married and with children, and I was just horrified to think of uh-huh. calling him and having egg on my face, like, oh, I'm so <laughs> happy you're married with two children. Okay. So I didn't call him, but I, I went two weeks after that to a church service. Um I go to Michael Beckwith's church here in L.A., the big agape community, and there's generally thousands of people that go every Sunday morning, and I'd never seen him there, but there I am that morning in the parking lot between services, and lo and behold, he's right across the lot. Of course. And I have a shy attack, and I I walk (laughs) the other way. I don't even go and and say hello to him. Oh, my God. And uh, by the time I gather my courage... He had left. So I said that thing that we all say to each other when we lack courage. I guess it wasn't meant to be.
4: Right. (laughs)
3: And uh, two weeks (laughs) after that, um, I'm talking to a friend who was also one of my vision keepers, because remember I said I'm doing this in community with Mm -hmm. a lot of support. And she convinced me to get on the Internet. Now, this is 17 years ago, and people were just starting to do that, and they did not yet have the technology to put people's photographs up. So when you went Mm -hmm. on the Internet back then to do Internet dating, there was like a sea of profiles that were organized around certain... Things like you know whether you smoked or not, or if you wanted children or not, or what city you lived in, uh-huh. but no no names and no pictures. It was all like too hard oh, to Oh One, kind <laughs> of, right? So I go in. There's a quarter of a million on people on the site. Mm-hmm. I start putting in my stats. And uh, narrowed down to about 80. And, you know, long story short, I responded to one person anonymously. And when he wrote me back the next day, because you could just write into your direct email account, uh-huh. his name was in parentheses next to his email address. And it was Mark. It was the man I dated six years of earlier. Course. Of wow. course. Wow.
0: I Who love that Who became my story. husband
3: the next year. <laughs> and then the father of our daughter the, the oh, year after that. I oh, have the chills. So that's how Calling in the One was born, right? That's I the love Calling it. in the One program. Yeah, it was pretty, wow. pretty wild and wonderful. And I mean, you know, it's almost like, wow, did that really just happen? And, yeah. and then once I realized that it actually did, I thought, okay, well, I need to unpack this and see if I can teach other people to do it. And uh, so I started teaching friends, and then they wanted me to write it down for their friends because it was working for them, and. You know, the rest is history because then it became The Calling in the One Book, which I'd never written a book before, but it went on to the national bestseller list <laughs> within four months of publication because it works. It's, really, it's yeah. really great, and it continues to work, which is why it continues to sell uh, some 12 years later.
2: Yeah. I, I, I know that I've had many clients who've used that, who swear by it. Do you have some success stories that you might want to share with us? Other than your own, that's amazing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of success stories. Um, I think my favorite success stories are the people who thought that it would work for other people but not them. And they had Uh a big reason why they thought, you know, love belonged to everybody else in the world but not them. Um, One was a woman who was, I think, at least 100 pounds overweight. And, of course, you know her her plan for finding love was always lose the weight, find love <laughs> and uh but you know, she couldn't lose the weight. there're just some people who their bodies are so acclimated to carrying that extra weight, or um they're just they just have hormonal issues, you know, anyway, so not everybody can lose that weight, and so, in her mind, she was doomed to be alone for her life, mm-hmm. so she did the calling in the one process, and she um she ended up not losing weight, but she ended up meeting this lovely man who was gorgeous to look at i mean he was he didn't have a weight issue at all, but he adored her mm. and um and they're now been happily married for many years. Um, another woman who I get such a kick out of was a woman in her sixties who um had a squeaky little voice. And uh, dressed like a nun and she had like little okay. short gray hair like a nun. And uh she I was I met her because I was doing a live workshop and so she wrote me before the workshop. She says, Do you think that you could help hopeless cases like me? <laughs> right? So I said, Of course, come <laughs> to the workshop And she was just the sweetest little thing, but she was she was nun like. She had like a very kind of like little nun shoes, and you know the skirt all the way down almost to her ankles. And but you know she participated and um, did the process. And you know anyway, she ended up um, because calling in the one is about you know creating your best life in order to call in your best love. Has that element. So she took a poetry class that she had all because she always loved poetry and writing poems. She'd never taken a class before. Lo and behold, there's a man in the poetry class and they fall in love through their poetry and they're <laughs> getting married. <laughs> oh, and then, I love it. And then another favorite story that I just delight in is this woman who had. Um, she was born with, um, I guess it's is it called rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis? I'm not even saying the name right. But she had mm-hmm. she had physical uh, disabilities that were very evident when you looked at her. She was mm-hmm. kind of small, and her arms were a little bit shorter. Uh, her mobility was limited, um, and so she had a beautiful woman uh, and and able to create a gorgeous meaningful career as a social worker, became a leader in her community, was an advocate for the rights of the disabled and she um, but you know, she had never had much success in dating, even though she had a lot of courage. She would put herself out on the internet, she would try and meet men, she had a couple few lovers over the years, but nothing serious or permanent. And uh, and she was limited, as I said. Her mother used to have to come over to her apartment every morning just to brush her hair because she could not lift her arms to do so herself. So she had a big story about why love was for other people and not her, and she came to me in her 40s and um, went through the whole 49 Days to Love process. And uh, we... Um, and, and looked at her core beliefs that she had about herself, that she was mm-hmm. damaged goods, that she wasn't good enough, and shifted on a core level mm-hmm. what she really felt about herself and what she was standing for having. And really within a matter of weeks after completing the program, she, um, she ended up connecting. It was a, actually a man who was in her social circle. She had known him. Um, but they connected, and they fell in love, and she's now very happily married to this really lovely man. He has um, he has his own uh, similar disability, which is why he was in her community. It's not as visible or evident, uh, but when you see them together, it's so moving, and uh-huh. um, so I'm really a fan that love belongs to all of us, and uh-huh. I... I I think that you know any. All of us have an excuse. Like if we went through everybody in the audience, and I asked you, "What's what's your what's the thing that you makes you think that you are ever going to be able to find love?" And um, usually, you know, most of the people, oh, I have kids, or I have, I, I have." too much debt, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have, have an unsightly scar, or like there's something.
2: Right, right.
3: Or I have too many wrinkles, or um, I can't have children, or I don't want children, or, you know, some story. And, you know, so we a lot of Calling in the One is, is naming those beliefs that we think, you know, is, or, you know makes us un, uneligible for having what we yeah. want, and getting congruent on the inside, because once we are internally lined up with the future Mm -hmm. that we're committed to creating, we are unstoppable. That's where the miracle of life can happen.
2: I so agree with you. So powerful. That's, I think that's the number one thing. I I can't agree with you more. And I think, you know, what I want to say to people too is it's easy Like, well, it's hard to recognize some of these things. We get so blinded by it. You know, we have our blind spots, and that's why, um, you know, having somebody help you, even if it's like, you know, like you mentioned that story about your friend who said, I'm going to hold you accountable. Um, Having somebody outside of ourselves that can see what we can't see is so important in this process. And whether it's a, a friend who can be honest with you, or a therapist, or a coach, or a group, um, you know, whatever it is, I think, um, find somebody that can help you get out of your own way. You know? Yeah,
3: I love that, and and I I do have uh, coaches who've been training with me for years, and we, you know, we've we now have the forty nine days to love course where we take mm-hmm. people through process, and we have coaches that we train that are available, so all of those can be found on. Um, you know, on uh, and actually a, a free a free seventy five minute audio that takes people deeper through the process of of calling in the one can be found. And where can they find that? That's on my website, Thomas dot com, and that uh, Catherine is K A T H E R, I N E, woodwardthomas.com. dot com.
2: Okay, perfect. That sounds really helpful for people. I think. Um, Yeah, if people want to go check that out, that would be great. And we are going to actually take a break here um, for another commercial. So, again, go check out Catherine at CatherineWoodwardThomas.com. And, of course, you can uh, find me at TheLoveStrategist.com. We'll be back here in just a few minutes.
4: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: You are listening to Destination Love. To reach Shelly Pumphrey or her guest today, call us at 1 866 472 Again, that's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Shelley at ShellyPumphrey.com. Now back to Destination Love. Welcome back. This is Shelly, and we are here
2: interviewing Catherine Woodward Thomas today. And um, Catherine was giving us some really great advice and some uh, success stories of people who worked on Um, her program and just clearing out all of these blocks and these stories that we tell ourselves that get in the way of finding love. And one of the things that we wanted to kind of focus on here a little bit is um, one more aspect of finding this relationship. And I know, Catherine, the book that you are, uh, well, the most recent book that you've put out is Conscious Uncoupling, Five Steps to Living Happily Even After, and I want to talk a little bit about how that can be helpful. And I, you know, I was telling Catherine before the show that I get all these people who are single, who are looking for love. And I said, I'm not sure if, if talking about conscious uncoupling is the way to go. And, and, and she said, well, absolutely it is, because we, ha- we have to clear out all of the old stuff in order to create room for the new. So, Catherine, I would love to hear more about this process and, and your beliefs about why that's important for people to do if they're searching for a new relationship.
3: Well, you know, none of us got to where we are without having our heart, you know, broken a time or two. Right. or at least at least pretty bruised up. And um, I think we all know that we can bring a lot of the baggage that happened in a former relationship into a new relationship unless we know how to clear it out and process it out in a way that is really going to harvest all of the lessons from that experience and allow us to love um, happier and healthier moving forward. Um, and in many ways set us up really to be very successful in love. So, you know, in in teaching so many thousands of people over the year the calling in the 149 Days to Love process, one of the things I saw was that one of the biggest obstacles to love, being able to manifest health and happiness in love moving forward, has to do with being incomplete with a relationship in our past. And I think... You know, those of us who have been through um, heartbreak, there's kind of a, have probably heard, you know, the the comforting words, you'll feel better in time. And I think that on some level that's true. Um, In many ways it's not. Uh, Definitely the acute pain from a breakup will minimize over time. But just as we would never let our broken leg heal of its own accord, we do not want to let a broken heart heal of a of own cord because, you know, it, the heart will tend to grow a little bit uh, calcified closed, a little bit uh, too easily bruised, a little bit more yes. moving forward because that's the heart's equivalent of walking with a limp for the rest of our lives. So I see conscious right. uncoupling the five steps to living happily even after as a precursor to calling in the one. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, You know, because um, it'll get us out of victimization. It will uh, help us to identify the amends that we need to make to ourselves moving forward so that we can trust ourselves to never make those same mistakes again. It will graduate us from the core sense of self that has been at play in that relationship because, you know, sometimes we have these beliefs, I'm unwanted, and then, we, and then we meet someone, and their wanting us is a healing bomb to that story. Mm-hmm. But what happens over time is if, if we're depending on them to heal that story before we have actually transformed that within ourselves, is we will, outside of conscious awareness, pull on that person to duplicate a mirroring back that we are not wanted.
2: Right right
3: we will and we won't even know how we're doing it but we will find a way to you know intrude upon their space or come at them with a lot of neediness or be insatiable in our need for them to validate our you know that that they want us you know and so we chip 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 away at their love and then then within a matter of months or years they too are looking at us and saying i don't even want to be with you anymore Right. And that's, so that's a rewounding of that old story. So in Conscious Uncoupling, we go back to the source of that story. I call it your source fracture wound. We transform it at its core mm-hmm. so that it never shows up again ever. I love that. Yeah, and then also, you know, I teach uh, communication skills, how to actually disappear toxic festering residue between yourself and another person. So that you're not left walking on eggshells, particularly if you're a shared children or have a shared Mm -hmm. former partner, and um, and how to create your happy even afterlife, which is setting up structure so that everyone can go on and forward in life and have happy, healthy love. So it is a precursor. Um, It's particularly useful for people who are going through a breakup and want to create happy love on the other side, or Mm -hmm. people who are. You know, know deep down inside that they're really in the wrong relationship and that they need to end that with this person, so it gives a, a, a roadmap on how to do that well. And, by the way, could even transform that relationship as you're going through that process because that's happened a time or two. Uh-huh. And then, um, or finally, people who have been out of relationships for a long time um, but don't, but, but, but haven't really ever seemed to get involved with anyone. So the years are passing, and the you know, clock is ticking, and the years are passing. I've had a lot of people do conscious uncoupling who've actually ended their relationship a decade ago, two decades ago, because they realize that there's still a way that they're guarded, and they have what's called uh, complicated grief, which is yeah. a grief that never really moved through to the other side and left them enhanced by the experience and more capable of creating love on the other side. So um, that's really the conscious uncoupling process. It's the one that Gwyneth Paltrow made famous uh, because I had been teaching it for a few years when Gwyneth had heard about it, and, and then she kicked it into the lexicon, and that's when I decided to write a book about it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it came out last you week. you
2: mentioned something about that going back and healing that source fracture wound. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because that sounds so key. And, and that so, caught like, your, yeah, it see, is. I want Yes, I'm like, let's go into that for a minute. How? Well, I mean, it's, other than yeah, reading well, the whole book right now, but
3: we want to look at the original wounding in our heart because what happens in a breakup? So there's suffering. There's two kinds of pain in a breakup. There's the pain of grief, which we will always feel when we love someone and we are losing that relationship or even transitioning that relationship to a much less intimate form of relationship. Right. Um, so there's the agony of that grief in the five stages. And, you know, because we have hearts that love and because we're human... That is not negotiable. That right. will happen to the extent that we have left someone. But the un, but the avoidable suffering, and actually the toxic suffering of a breakup, is the meaning that we make.
0: Right. <clears throat>
3: and that is when our partner, or former partner, re-wounds us in the way that kind of brings us back to that sad story from childhood. And so I think about... I think the the anthem for that is that Gilbert O'Sullivan song that I think was popular in the 80s, Alone Again Naturally. You know, it's this kind of place where we go back to, oh, here I am, alone again. Here I am, you know, devalued again. Here I Mm -hmm. am, abused again. Here I am, not wanted, not chosen, whatever that story is. And so if we trace that story back, and again, we do it in the body, Like, how, what, what, where is the pain? What's the meaning I'm making of the breakup? What am I making the breakup mean about me and about the possibilities I hold for love in this lifetime? And you make it conscious. And you say, how old is that part of me? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that age, the the age of the self is multiple. Oh, 12. But then you go, oh, you know, it wasn't the first time, though, when I was 12. It happened with my brother when I was six. Well, uh, mm, it wasn't really the first time it happened with my brother. It really happened when I was two. Well, mm, I think it even happened. It's pre-verbal, so it's kind of like the, the 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 theme, the sad theme that plays in the background, right? And it has a lot of resignation to it, and it's very, it's almost like a live wire for some of us. So usually i the usually there's different stories that we can tell, oh, well, I don't know, I'm not good enough, I'm not wanted, I'm not loved, but mm-hmm. I look for the one that makes you almost want to cry when you name it' right. that's that's the one that got triggered again in that breakup, so when we go back and it's much the same in crawling in the one because you know it's my technologies, my transformative technologies that get applied to different situations, so it's going back and it's and it's you know loving that part of you. And realizing that, yes, something happened that was traumatic or something was happening, you know, over time that was traumatic. You weren't getting enough attention. You weren't being supported. You were being abused. But the interpretive lens of child is to make it mean something about you. Right. Because children don't have any sophisticated meaning-making machines. They literally don't have the capacity to say, oh, my mother is ignoring me because she's an alcoholic let me see if I can um, go to the Internet and find an AA meeting for her. Right. Don't say that when you're four. When you're four, right. you say, I must not matter. Right. In the face of and the then, neglect. And you internalize that as self-neglect. Exactly. Right. So we have to, we have to see those stories, and we have, to, um, we have to wake ourselves up out of the trance, Right. by um, connecting with a deeper part of ourselves that can tell the deeper truth and reinterpret mm-hmm. that story. And then, here's the interesting thing about it, Shelley. This is kind of the secret sauce that I have in all of my teachings, mm-hmm. which is that beliefs are relational. And one of the reasons that we haven't yet been able to evolve beyond our beliefs, where they keep showing up over and over and over again, out you know, as much as we're trying, is because we actually don't graduate, really, until we begin to see the deeper truth mirrored back to us in right. the eyes of others.
2: Yeah, that's it.
3: And it needs to be across the board. Right. So, because, because beliefs are relational in nature, they were created in relationship. Right, exactly. None of us were born, none of us came into the womb, you may, meaning unless you do past life regressions and stuff, which I'm going <laughs> to stay out of for the moment, or inherited <laughs> family trauma, which my, my friend Mark Wallen does. You know, yeah. so there, is, there are strands of consciousness, and maybe all the women in your family feel like they're not worthy of love, you know. Yes. so So that, that part could be true. But, but you know, as a soul, none of us are coming in already not good enough. Right, right. So That tended to happen because we had an older sister who could do things farther and faster than we could, and right. we were always tagging behind. And so, there was a re- so we made something up in our minds about why that was so in terms of what it meant about us. So we, as competent, intelligent adults, have to go back and course-correct the meaning and identify the ways that we've been showing up, mm-hmm. that have been pulling on people to validate the old story. And then the new ways of showing up that would tell a new story and weave a new story into existence. And so, and also, and that will generally represent new things that we need to learn. Like I need to actually presence my feelings and needs in order for someone to smile, look at me with love and say, of course I'm happy to take care of your feelings right now and give you what you need. Yeah,
2: that's beautiful. I
3: think like you just, you summed
2: all of that up so well and you're just like just I love how you just eloquently present this um we are almost out of time here and I know that you've got this um summit coming up here um that I would love for you to just briefly share with people how they could find you how can how they can learn more I know we've already talked about your website but uh you said can you tell us about the summit?
3: I would love to, if you go to the katherinewoodwardthomas.com website, right there on the top banner is an invitation to click on and find out more about the Conscious Uncoupling Summit, how to heal from heartbreak, be free to forgive, and find your way home to love. I have some Really amazing teachers uh, who are going to be gathering over uh, this live virtual interactive event on January 27th and 28th. The whole event is being recorded, so you could actually, you know, not be there in person. It's a free event to the community. Um, and I will be there live taking questions from people as we're going through the process. Uh, We have Marianne Williamson with us. We have David Kessler, who's worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, one of the world's experts on grief. We have Mary Morrissey and um, Deborah Pahman. Sounds amazing.
2: I'm, nice I'm going to cut us off because we're almost out of time here. Sounds amazing, guys. Please um, go to CatherineWoodwardThomas.com, find out more about the summit. And Catherine, thank you so very much for being here today and sharing your wisdom. Um, and please remember, um, if you're listening, you can find me at TheLoveStrategist.com. Um, talk about uh, coaching, retreats, anything that uh, you need some support around. Next week, we will have Ariel Ford joining us as we continue the this conversation about bringing in the one. Thanks for listening
1: today. Have a great week. Thank you for making a weekly visit to Destination Love. Please join Shelley Pumphrey again next Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be brave, be you, be loved.